Good morning, good morning, good morning. Hope you're all happy to be in the house of God. I'm happy that uh, I moved to the Sunshine State and then it just rained all week. I was like, this is a total ripoff. I, I don't know what's going on. My, my wife was up in New York. She's like, it's gloomy and it's rainy. And I'm like, don't worry, you're going to come home. It's going to be beautiful. And she comes home and it's another week of rain. I was like, come on, man. But that's all right. The sun's shining this morning. And uh, we are pressing on, amen? We are pressing on. Uh, and that's the title of our series uh, that we're in right now. And, and this morning, I want to talk about pressing on into the Bible. Pressing on into the Bible. And with that, I want to read from 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, which will serve as a proof text here. It says, all scripture. And by the way, that's, uh, I could stop right there and preach a sermon. All of it from Genesis to Revelation, maybe even the maps, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. The NIV reads this way. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful to make me feel good and make me feel like a winner and to pump me up. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. That was the American translation of the Bible. I'll read what the Bible actually says. It's profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in Righteousness, And what's the goal? So the servant of God, that's me and you, may be thoroughly, thoroughly equipped for every good work. You see, um, I'm going to get to this in a minute, but a lot of times we, we, can, we can cherry pick our way through the scripture and avoid the parts that are there to teach us or rebuke us. You know what rebuking is? If you have kids, you know what rebuking is. You know, hey, knock it off. As you read the Bible front to back, you're going to hit something at some point soon, very soon, that is going to rebuke you or correct you or train you. And part of my job as a preacher of this word is to present it in such a way that you walk away saying, ooh, today I was taught or I was rebuked or I was corrected or I was trained. If you don't walk away from a, a Christian sermon experiencing one of those four things, you're not hearing from the Bible as it's supposed to be taught because it's there to teach, to rebuke, to correct, and to train. But before we really dig in, I want to I kind of teach for a second, if I could, because there are different ways in which culture would look at this book right here. What is it? What is it? Is it, is it, is, is it inspired by God? Is it written by a man? And there's really about four big camps of thought around uh, the inspiration of Scripture. The first is the, the neo-Orthodox view, which Karl Barth, one, a, um, a theologian, kind of brought into existence. And that, that idea was basically God can never be known. I mean, you, even, even with a book, you can't be known. But, but what happens is as you read the Bible, this is the theory, as you read the Bible, oh, God reveals himself to you through personal revelation. 
The problem is it takes away from the fact that this book all by itself is revelation. It is revelation. We don't need some mystical light from heaven that shines down while we read it. Although I do believe God, while you read the scripture, can really speak deep, deeply into your spirit. But that's the neo-orthodox view, and we don't believe that. The dictation method was basically that these 66 books that were written by a multitude of authors over a large span of time, that God pretty much like grabbed their hand and, and they just kind of wrote the book. And they're like, oh my gosh, what is happening? I just wrote the book of Luke. That's the dictation method. The other view is limited inspiration. In, in other words, that some are inspired and some aren't inspired. And you know, because we're so smart, it's 2024, we've learned because of science and technology and that some of these things aren't relevant anymore. And that was, it was only cultural, it was this, and it basically reduces parts of the scripture to just being words and not being God's words. But I remind you what I, I just read to you from 2 Timothy, all scripture, all scripture is God-breathed. We ascribe to the, what's called the plenary verbal inspiration view of the Bible. And I'm going to read this. as the doctrine of plenary verbal inspiration holds that the original documents of the Bible were written by man who, through permitted to exercise of their own personalities and literary talents, yet wrote under the control and the guidance of the Spirit of God. The result being, in every word of the original documents, a perfect an errorless recording of the exact message which God desired to give man. That's the plenary verbal inspiration view of the Bible. That is the general orthodox view of a Protestant person. Now, um, just because I declare that doesn't mean that you believe it. In fact, I, ha I, I bought this week the Jefferson Bible. If you're not familiar with the Jefferson Bible, uh, an early president decided to just cut out parts of the Bible and put it together. And... and uh, you know, you could defend it on a certain level. It was called, I think it was the, the morals and the teachings of Jesus of Nazareth. But the problem is what he's saying is only the red letters are like the good stuff. That is not true. I actually, I don't have an issue with red letter Bibles, but it kind of says this is the important stuff. And the rest is like the black letter Bible. You know, it's like that's the rest of the stuff. No, from Genesis to Revelation, Jesus Christ, by the way, they should all be red letters because Jesus, who's a part of the Trinity, wrote the Holy Scriptures. And although he's quoted in the Gospels, he was there in the Old Testament. He was there in the New Testament. This is the foundation. This, this plenary verbal view of, of the inspiration is the foundation of the evangelical view of the inerrancy of Scripture. It is important to, to note, if you don't believe that it's in, in, inerrant, meaning without error, it's like me saying today, 5% of what I'm going to say to you is just a total lie. The problem is it undermines every word I'm going to speak from here on out. Because now you know, I don't know. I don't trust you now. I don't know what is real and what is fake. We have to come to this conclusion. The entire Bible is without error. Error. And I'm going to get into how we can trust the Bible in a minute, but I want to read to you from 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20. It says this, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things, for prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's what we believe, and that is the the backdrop, that is the, the, the encouragement of the plenary verbal view of Scripture. Someone said this, this book is the mind of God 
the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners and the happiness of believers. Its doctrines are holy, its precepts are binding, its histories are true, and its decisions are immutable. Read it to be wise, believe it to be safe, practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, and comfort to cheer you. It's the traveler's map, the pilgrim's staff, the pilot's compass, the soldier's sword, and the Christian's character. Here, paradise is restored, heaven open, and the gates of hell disclosed. Christ is the grand subject. Our good, its design. The glory of God, its end. It should be filled in our memory. Rule the heart and guide the feet. Read it slowly, frequently, prayerfully. It is a mine of wealth, a paradise of glory, and a river of pleasure. Follow its precepts and it will lead you to Calvary, to the empty tomb, to the resurrected life of Christ. Yes, to glory itself eternal. Amen. Amen. That's strong. And, and you know, I, I pray uh, when I'm done doing my job here today that something will stir in your spirit to press into the Bible, not just approach it casually. Every Sunday morning I'm convicted by Apple because they send me a screen time report on my phone around 9 a.m. I don't know if I set that up at some point or if it's just the Holy Spirit convicting me, but it says, here's how much time you average daily on your phone. And I usually just say, I rebuke you, Satan. That, that can't be true. That's not true. But it is a lot of time. And I think if you're honest, you have a lot of screen time. And so when people say, oh, man, I don't have time for the scripture, I say, let me see your screen time report for your phone. I bet you I can find time for you to read five pages a day. If you read five pages a day, you'll read the entire scripture front to back every year. Five pages, it's 20 minutes. It's literally the time that commercial breaks occur on a one-hour show. If you just, during the commercial breaks, read your Bible, you'd read the entire Bible in a year. But we read the Bible because it's God's word to us. This is my first point. You know, the, the, the idea is that it's, that it's outdated or it's, it's antiquated or it's irrelevant. It is, it's, it's disproved. It is timeless and it's trustworthy. I want to share some things that maybe some of you know. And those of you who know it, it will serve as great encouragement. For those of you who don't know some of these things, I want you to, um, to, to visit them for the first time. Well, how can we trust this scripture? How do we know? You know, it's been through many, it wasn't, you know, the, the scripture wasn't written in English, you know, was it German or Latin, was it, you know, Greek or Hebrew? How do we know after all these years and all these translations that, that we can still trust the book that you hold in your hand today? Well, let's talk about number one, that why can we trust the scripture? Number one, I want you to see that the message of the scripture, the message of the cross, the message of Jesus, the New Testament, that, that, that the, one of the major arguments is the person execution of the disciples itself. Could you imagine if I decided, hey, Good News Church, we're going to grow. We're going to grow, and I'm going to write a book. You know, I'm going to call it the, the, the New Testament of Mark Schilling, and, and I'm going to say that I am the second coming of the Messiah, and I get the board on board with me, and they're like, this sounds crazy, but let's go, and I start doing miracles, and they're like, this is cool. We get a following. People are coming, and they're like, it's working. It's actually working. This scam you're pulling off, it's working. We go from 200 to 2,000. People are giving money. I'm turning water into wine. We're having a good time until they kill me. See, when they come and they crucify me for my beliefs, 
And then they turn and they look at the board and say, do you still stand behind this Mark Schilling? And they're going to go, no way, we're just joking. I'm sorry. I'm just, just, we, he was crazy. He was crazy. I, was, I, was, I said no the whole time. But you know what? Every one of the disciples died horrible deaths because they believed in this message that Jesus taught. Nobody, rarely will people die for the truth, but no one will die for a lie. And all the disciples died because of the message that we read in this book. It is the message of Jesus Christ. In fact, that is one of the strongest arguments. The other one is the manuscript evidence. You know, people say, oh, it's been lost over time and it's been retranslated. From the time the, the Bible was written, it was written by hand, and the manuscripts that were written from, from, from one to another, if I was commissioned as a young Jewish man to rewrite the scriptures, it had to be absolutely perfect. You're not going to just change the words and twist it around. And they say that as they find more translations, the most famous, obviously, is probably from 1947 in Israel. They found literally scrolls, the Dead Sea Scrolls, as it became known as, Every single book of the Bible was found in there other than Esther. They found translations, and they held up those old manuscripts up against modern scripture, and it was the exact same words then as it is now. And so we can trust that what we're reading in these translations are accurate. Now, there are some wackadoodle translations out there, I just want to tell you. So guard yourself. I'm not a King James guy like King James is the Bible and everything else is trash. I think there's room for other translations. I would say that some of them get a little weird. I won't get into that right now, but, but, but you know, be, be wise. But a good translation of the Bible today is what was written. How about this? The Bible's amazing scientific accuracy and foresight. Like the earth being round, they thought the earth was flat. But apparently there's a good following of people that still do, which is really an interesting if you're on Facebook, follow Flat Earthers. It's really kind of fun to watch. But they've proven the earth is round. And the Bible says that God sits on the circumference of the earth. All the way back then, it was, he, was, he, was, he did that. How about this? The, the stars being without number. The Bible says the stars are without number. Well, scientists for ages said, no, there's, there's about, uh, it, it was, it was, I think it was Ptolemy who said there was 1,056 stars. Uh, uh, Johannes Kepler said there, there was 1,000. Um, Galileo said there was 1,607 total stars. Well, we know now that we don't know how many stars there are without number, and the scriptures foretold that. How about this? When you're writing a book to start a religion, you don't highlight all the weaknesses of people. And the entire Bible, read Genesis, it's a history of a dysfunctional family constantly screwing up. This does not inspire confidence in me if it was just a natural book. But the point is, the power of the book is not the power of the heroes, because Superman doesn't show weakness, Iron Man doesn't have weakness, but Moses had weakness, and Abraham had weakness. How about this? Noah, this is right off the bat in Genesis, Noah getting drunk right after he got off the ark. It's not a good look for a Bible superhero. They don't, I don't think Allie teaches that with the kids' ministry, but that happened, you know? Abraham lying about his wife being his sister. Moses had anger problems. David had adultery and murder problems. Jesus called his own disciple Peter Satan. He called him Satan. He said, get behind me, Satan, you know. 
So you, when you're writing a book like this, and if the idea is to bamboozle people, you don't lead with a weak foot. But the hero of the story is not the heroes we make out of them. See, there's only almost heroes, I call them. The Bible is filled with tons of almost heroes. And we know what this is like in our culture, don't we? You see, you see people rise up and you're like, now that's someone's son you should be like. I remember for years, I, liked, I loved to watch the Tour de France. I'm a big bicycle fan once a year in July. And I, 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 I watched the Tour de France. And for a while, uh, Lance Armstrong was just crushing it. He was winning every single year until we found out he was doing drugs. And it's like, wah, wah, wah. And don't we have so many stories, leaders and presidents and, and, and athletes that are like, now this is a good guy. And then it's like, so-and-so arrested for, it's like, ah, oh, wah, wah, wah. And that's the whole story of the Bible and all the people in it, except for one, the true and the better hero, his name is Jesus Christ. He was the rescuer who comes and says, now this is the hero. It's not David who beat Goliath. It's not Noah who built an ark. It's Jesus who saves us, and that's the story of the Bible, not the people in it. How about this? The Bible's internal consistency. This is so amazing. Forty authors on three continents over 2,000 years, and yet it maintains extreme consistency, cohesiveness throughout. A lot of times people who say, I don't trust the Bible. I don't believe, I don't believe in the Bible. I say, have you read it? Well, no, but I saw on Twitter that, like, okay, then... You've not even read the Bible. And you know what? Can I say to the shame of many Christians who say our life is built on this book, many Christians have never read this Bible cover to cover. We're literally staking our soul on the message in these pages, and yet we ourselves are guilty of not reading it. Depending on this, one hour on a Sunday morning. And this is important, don't get me wrong. But if you are not in your word, you are missing out on a message from God. I want to end by saying this. On the fulfilled prophecies, forget about it. I mean, there was 2,500 prophecies. 2,000 have been fulfilled. That's, you can see that. But someone said this, and I, I, I love this phrase. I don't know if I have it on the screen or not. But you can know God. I'm sorry, you can know the Bible and not know God. But you cannot know God without knowing the Bible. Is that up there? Yeah, there it is. You can know the Bible and not know God, because there's many atheists who are teaching in religious institutions right now. They know the Bible. They know the Greek. They know the Hebrew, but they don't know God. But you cannot know God apart from this book. You cannot know the personality and the person and the character of God apart from this book. And people say, I want to know God. I'm going to pray. That's good. Pray. But then it comes down to your own personal weird interpretation of what God is like. So I say the word father. I say the word love. And instead of filtering it through what this Bible says about a father and about love, you filter it through your own personal experiences. That is why people say, I want to know the voice of God. Here it is. This is the word of God to us today. You'll often hear me say that after I read my text for the morning. I'll say, this is the word of God to us today. And I love the word today, because it's not out of date. This is God's word to us today, church. But how about this? Number two, we read the Bible, but the Bible reads us. Hebrews 4.12 says this, 
for the word of God is alive and active. That cannot be said about Shakespeare. That cannot be said about any other author, that, that their works are alive and active. They are dead. Those words are dead. But the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The message, which is a thought-for-thought translation, this is an example of not being a study Bible, but it's a thought-for-thought translation. It says this, God means what he says. What he says goes. His powerful word is sharp as a surgeon's scalpel, cutting through everything, whether doubt or defense, laying us open to listen and obey. Nothing and no one can resist God's word. We can't get away from it no matter what. I pray that in your devotional time, I often listen to the Bible on my phone while it reads it to me. I use the U version because I'm easily distracted, so I like having it visual and in my ears and keeps me dialed in. But as I'm reading it, I often pause it because something will happen in the reading where the reading will read me and say, oh, that's me right there. I, I stop because it's not just about reading through it. This isn't high school where you have to like get that book read, you know. No, you, you read it fast, but then, then, then when the moment comes, you read it slow and say, oh, Lord. Yeah, Lord, forgive me for that. That's, that's me right there. How many of you have ever had that happen where you're just reading this Bible, you're just trying to have a good old time, and all of a sudden it, the Holy Spirit just stops you, and you're like, shoot. You know, I, that's why I like to ask people, what did you read in your Bible this morning? And they'll say, oh, I read uh, Matthew 1 through 6. Oh, good, good. Well, what, what, what about it? Uh, nothing. They got nothing, you know. I try to read until the Holy Spirit halts me, stops me. And then that's the, that's the verse of the day where I meditate on it because the Bible truly reads us. The Bible is the most supernatural book you'll ever read. I'm convinced, listen, there is no book in the world like it. I can tell you stories of people. I remember one girl, we were at a youth camp, and uh, she was completely dyslexic and couldn't read the Bible. And she wanted to read the Bible. And we prayed for her. And I remember at a youth camp, she opened the book, the Bible. The, the, the pastor that was leading told her to go to like Leviticus, someplace he knew that she hadn't memorized, you know, because she wasn't Jewish. She hadn't memorized Leviticus. Opens up, starts reading it, can read it. I, I, I remember people, I remember this kid in high school, he told me, um, he, he was out of high school. He was, he was an adult. He goes, I cheated all through high school because I couldn't, I couldn't read and I, I was dyslexic. I couldn't read at all. And he goes, but then I got saved. And I said, God, I want to I read, read your words. I want to read your words. He goes, he goes, and that night God healed him, and he began to be able to read not only the Bible, but every other book. Why? Because it is a supernatural book written by God. We have access to this. Can you imagine? And we don't read it. We don't look at it. We don't turn to it for help. We, we turn on the radio. We turn on the news. We turn on television and all the things that fill our minds and our ears. Listen, we cannot have the mind of God if we are not constantly self filling ourselves with the word of God. Period. And sometimes these things happen. Maybe you're on, you listen to the radio. Maybe you listen to Christian radio and there's preachers and that's good. And that's a piece of the puzzle. And worship that is God exalting, that's a piece of the puzzle. But nothing takes the place of spending dedicated time in your word. Now, how about this? Number three, we read the Bible's words to better follow and obey God. 
Again, I read 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Let me just stop there and talk for a second. There's, so, there's a part of our hearts, if we're honest, that does not want to be convicted by the sins we're committed. We actually want to feel like we're okay just as we are. And uh, I remember being at church and a girl came up to um, the altar for prayer. And she had a button, a pretty prominent button that was pretty clear what she believed about some things. And over it was these words, Jesus loves me just as I am. And I thought, ooh, that's, that's an interesting one. Because you're right-ish. Because he does. If you're here for the first time, maybe you're still having a hangover from last night. Maybe you're still in the middle of sinning right now. I want to tell you, Jesus loves you right now. But he doesn't leave you that way. He doesn't want to leave you that way. He doesn't give you a wink, wink, and a smile, and a thumbs up, and keep at it, buddy. No, he's going to say, come to me, all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I'm going to, and you know what the Bible says? He, says? he says, learn from me. He says, my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Notice what he says here. You're wearing a yoke of slavery that does not only not fit you, it hurts you, it hinders you, and it's going to destroy you. Come to me. He doesn't just take it off. He puts another one on. A one that fits, and it's the law of God that refreshes the soul. But I want you to see something, that our, our, our sinful hearts want to be told, I am loved just as I am, and I can say this way. But the Bible itself says of itself that the purpose of the scripture is to come up and teach us, rebuke us, correct us, and train us. I don't know if any of you have been to physical therapy before. The physical therapists, um, they're, they're, they're torturers. They're torturers. I don't know if they have a rehab from an injury. You go, and they don't say, just do it till you're uncomfortable and stop. Do they? They say, no, push, 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 push. Tears in your eyes. Nope, nope, you're doing good. Push, no, I can't, I can't. Push, 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 push. Ah! They're helping you grow. If you go to a weight trainer, a physical trainer at the gym, and they say, we're going to lift weights till it feels heavy, and then you can just put them down. Because I don't want you to feel uncomfortable. I don't want you to feel stressed or sweat or smell bad. So we're just going to lift the weights. Just stick to those pink rubber-covered ones. And we'll just have a good time. And you'll leave. And you know what will happen? You will not improve at all. You know where you grow in the gym is when you're lifting weights. Literally, where things start to rip. Now, I'm not talking about screaming. But, but really, muscle growth happens from microscopic ripping. And when the healing comes, it gets bigger and stronger. And so it is when you're in the word of God. That it starts to go, oh, that, oh, that hurt a little bit. Yeah, it's supposed to hurt a little bit. Because that's how growth happens in your life. If you can't point to something right now where the Holy Spirit is ripping some things, you're not growing. We should all have an area in our life where we feel because of the Holy Scripture and the Spirit of God challenged and convicted. Maybe it's in our words, our thoughts, our deeds, our money, our marriage, our parenting. There's so many areas where the Holy Spirit's going right there is where you need to work on this thing. Now, if you're not feeling that, it's because we're not listening. It's because I'm not listening. Because I'm not there yet. And we need to constantly be filling ourselves with this word 
all the time so the Holy Spirit has context to convict us. See, people say, does God speak? Yeah, I believe God speaks. How does God speak? 95, maybe 99% of all the decisions you need to make in this life can be filtered through this word. Now you say, listen, I'm going to buy a car. Should I get a Ford or a Toyota or a Honda? Let's find what the scripture says. You're not going to find that. You know, I, I was a youth pastor. People say they want to marry a girl. Is she the one? Is she the one? You know, because there's like 8 billion people. I'm like, did you check all the other ones? I mean, like, you know, the one, you know, the, uh, the one. And I said, but the Bible creates a grid work to figure out God's voice. And the grid work is this. Number one, people say, I want to know God's voice. I say, his word, okay. I want to make a decision. What does the Bible say? Does the Bible forbid it, number one? If it forbids it, then you know God's voice. Don't do it. Hey, I was starting to, I was starting to, uh, I want to start a drug sales. I want to sell marijuana. Uh, not, the Bible says something about that, you know. I want, to, I want to, you know, I want to do this illegal thing. Nope, nope, the Bible says something about that right there in Romans 13. Don't do that. Can't do that. But then, then it's, how about this? Then the next thing is, okay, the Bible doesn't forbid it. I want to marry this girl. Maybe you're a young single guy. You want to marry a girl. Well, what does the Bible say? It tells you the type of person you should look for, for sure. Don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Okay, there we go. You're checking all the boxes. Talks about Christian character. There you go. The second thing is leaders in your life. You go around, people say, what do you think about this major decision I'm about to make? I tell people, you need a multitude of elders for safety. That's what the Bible says. And the, th the third thing is circumstances. You know, I want to marry her. What did she say? She said, no. Well, circumstances are telling me that that's, uh, I don't know if it's God's will, man, because she said no. So <laughs> there's that, you know. Uh, and the third thing, the fourth thing, and this is where charismatics go first, but I, I think it should be last, is that still small voice. That sense in your spirit. Do you have peace about it? Do you feel God's leading you to do it? But that, the problem is for many American Christians, they put that first. What do I feel about this situation? Well, I just feel, no, no, that's not the first thing. It's like the dead last thing. The Bible is the first. The Bible is the first. The psalmist said this in Psalm 119.11, I have hidden your words in my heart that I might not sin against you. And he says further on in 119, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. I want us to think about this, those who can picture that scene walking in the woods with a flashlight. He's, he's using this metaphor that this is what guides me. This is what guides me. And I know as, as most of us in the room are Christians, maybe some of you are not Christians, but all of us have something that is lighting our path for our life. And obviously the answer you're supposed to say, oh yeah, 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 it's the Bible. It's the Bible. It's the Bible. But I want to challenge us and ask us if that's true. Because sometimes other things guide us more often. We came through the pandemic and those were wild and crazy times. Things got really choppy there for a bit. I think we could all say amen, you know. Family, you know, Thanksgiving was really interesting. First when we couldn't gather, and then when we could. I don't know which was worse. And people started sharing their opinions. By the way, I'll pray for all of us this week that we be, behave ourselves at the Thanksgiving table. <laughs> and man, you found out that politics to some people was the light under their path. It wasn't the scripture, it was their political stance or their political party or their political pundit, the voice of those people was more loud in their ear and more bright in their words and their path than the word of God. I myself 
at times found myself guilty being overly opinionated about things that the Bible was not opinionated about. See, a lot of times I get opinionated about things the Bible doesn't really hold an opinion on or holds a different opinion on it. I don't know, things like turn the other cheek, which I don't even like that verse. How about you? Love your enemies? Not a fan of that verse. How about you? You got some verses that you're like, ooh. If I'm making a, a Jefferson Bible, I'm going to cut those parts out. You know, like, love your enemy. Turn the other cheek. Go the extra mile. Oh, I don't like that. And yet there it is. There it is. And so David is saying, your word is a lamp unto my feet. I pray for us as a church, from the pulpit to the pew, that we would resolve that in all manners, the word of God is prominent. I'll tell you now, Tuesday, we have a board meeting. We have board meetings often, and we gather around subjects. At the end of the day, my opinion, people say, what, what, what do you think about this? Or what, is you, what, do you, what do you think about this? Can I tell you the truth? What I think about stuff doesn't matter at all. What God thinks is what matters. What's your opinion about this or that moral issue? It doesn't matter what I think. It matters what he thinks. And so even for the board and for the church, we have resolved that the word of God is going to be the center of how we make decisions in this church. Can someone say amen? That should be encouraging news to, to all of us. It's not about my personality. It's not about John Blake's personality. It's not about our preferences. It's not about our, our, our traditions. It's about the word of God. I was just talking to someone in the lobby, and they were, they were sharing me. Someone quoted, there are, new, there are no new doctrines. There are no new theologies. That's true. This book has survived thousands of years. It is the most hated book. It is the most burned book. It is the most banned book. It is the most outlawed book of any book. And yet here we stand with it in our hand. Why? Because the word of God is powerful. The word of God is powerful, and we need to be in it. So what should be our response in this? Number one. We need to hear God's word. Hear God's word. That means you're coming to church on Sunday, hearing God's word. It means you're opening your Bible Monday through Sunday, and you're reading it for yourself, letting it fill you. I encourage you to find good, solid Bible preachers and teachers. Man, we are blessed in this current age. You can access so much information. It's a double-edged sword. I know that. There's, some, there's, there's weird information, but there's solid stuff. Like I said, at the fingertips of every person in America is the Bible. There's no one in America that does not have access to a Bible. The question, are we hearing God's word, reading God's word? Like I said, Five pages a day, 20 minutes a day, you're going to read through the entire scripture. You know, it's so common for me, and I hope it's your common experience as well, when I'm going through something or I'm asking God for help or for wisdom, I don't hear God just talk to me casually. I'm reminded of a verse. I'm reminded of a verse. I, I, I'm brought in my brain to a verse, and I'll go and I'll, I'll, I'll look it up, I'll open it and go, and it begins to encourage my spirit, and it's God speaking me again today through this book. We need to read the Word of God. The third thing is to study, to study the Word of God. What does that mean? It means that we don't just rip through it fast. We, we, we need, I think we should read it. There's a place where we read things fast, but there's a time to slow down and take one verse and examine it and park on it and highlight it and study it. The Bible says study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needs not be ashamed he knows how to rightly divide the word of truth. We need to study the word of God. We need to memorize God's word. I was so impressed. My, my youngest boy, Ari, and nine, joined the Bible quiz team in New York. 
and man, I realized um, how stupid I am and how smart my son was because he could just memorize. I mean, he memorized how many cards, Stephanie? Like a hundred cards, questions and answers and scriptures. Just he memorized every single one. So good that they'll say, who is? And he would answer, he would finish the question and then give the answer. Listen, you know, I, I was just encouraging Allie. I said, those little kids have a capacity to memorize. They have a capacity to memorize. You adults, encouragement for you as well. You can memorize too. We memorize all kinds of things. I talk to guys, oh man, I'm not good with memorization. Oh really? Who had the most home runs in 1986 on the Mets? It's like, boom, they, they know immediately. Oh, apparently you're good at memorizing some things. You know what I mean? They can, they can name the entire roster of every football team this year. They know all their stats. And like, I don't know, I can't memorize the Bible. No, you can, you can. We need to memorize God's word. And then we need to meditate on God's word. I want to invite the worship team to come as I begin to end here today. This may feel more like teaching than preaching today, but I'll tell you, this is the base and the foundation of our church is the word of God. And a lot of times we can drift away from this. And I don't want us, the church, to ever forget what we hold in our hand and why we trust it and to encourage us to press on. You know, there are uh, guides, devotional guides. Um, people do these. Um, they'll say, oh, yeah, in my devotions this morning, and they had a devotional guide. And, and I'm not against devotions at all. But a lot of times when I, 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 f I see what they're actually reading, it's, it's, it's three or four verses and then a little commentary about, about the verse. And I say, man, at this rate, it's going to take you 36 years to get through the entire Bible. Because we're only reading three or four verses. I want to encourage us. To, if you don't have a Bible, we'll get you a Bible. We have Bibles here. We'll get you a Bible. Hopefully that's not an issue for you. But if you need a Bible, I'll get you one. But I want to encourage us all to stand to our feet right now. I want to pray with us as a church. I'm really excited. We're coming into our Christmas season here. And uh, you're going to see us starting promoting Christmas at Good News Church. So for every week in December, we're going to be having a, a great service. And we want to encourage you to, to, to follow along with us, whether you're following on social media. I know some people are watching online. I greet you guys watching us online. We're glad you're watching. But I want to pray for us as a church. I believe that there are good things coming for Good News Church. I hope you feel the same way. I hope you're praying for that. I hope you're believing God for that, believing that good days are ahead. And so, Lord, we, we come before you this morning, and we just, we thank you for, for who you are. We thank you for all that you're, you've done and all you're doing in this church. Lord, I even meditate looking forward to Thanksgiving coming up and Christmas, Lord. God, I just pray this house would be a sanctuary for many people who maybe have never been to church before. Lord, where culture is filled with chaos and just busyness and shopping and Black Friday and bumping each other over, Lord. That's not the point of, of all, the, of all this, this season. It's about Jesus. And so, Lord, I pray your name would be lifted high in this house, in this season. And, Lord, today I pray as we leave, God, we feel a deep conviction to, to press on into the word and to fill ourselves with the truth of your word that, Lord, we would be shaped more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. Lord, if you need to teach us, need to rebuke us or correct us or whatever we need, God. I thank you. Your word does it for us, Lord. And so, Lord, I pray your grace to be on us and flow through us, that, God, our hands and our feet would be yours this week in our families, in our schools, in our workplaces, in our communities, that, God, all that we do would be for your glory and for our good. And in it and through it, we're going we're gonna to lift up your name and give you all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name.